today, for we will be using a collection of scriptures here. Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll just read verse number 5. We're actually reading all of the first part of the epistle of Second Peter. Verse number 5 just simply says this, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And beside this, giving all diligence, giving all diligence. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on art form. I think Peter gives to us an art form of being a disciple. And he is one of the perfect examples for that discussion because Peter was not perfect. But Peter developed some things in his life that became an art form for us. Amen. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture said. Go into all the world, baptizing them, making disciples. This is our job. This is our responsibility. It's a personal responsibility, and it is a church responsibility. And if there is one individual that could give us the art form of doing that and all the examples Along the way, it's the Apostle Peter. Amen. Praise God. I know Paul had some circumstances in his life, and he was persecuting the church, and he was putting people in prisons. He was separating families, but we just have a little bit of history there. We don't actually have a lot of that experience based on his own words and actions. It's part of his testimony, but what we have with Paul is a lot of his theology, the epistles, how God used him among the Gentiles, his missionary service to God. But if you're looking for somebody that struggled and was trying to do his very best, you find that in the Apostle Peter. And he created an art form at the end of his life to be able to put together some words that would help us in that endeavor. And today in the house of God, we have not just come here for another service. If we've just come here for another service, then that is just a tradition. We're not here for tradition. We are here to pursue working in the kingdom of God and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We didn't come here today to receive something. We didn't come here today to be blessed alone. We came here to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. There may be somebody that came wanting to receive something, but for us who are in the house of God, who are a part of the church of God, in the kingdom of God, it's about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and ministering to somebody that is in need. I came today because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Amen. And Peter gave to us the art form of being a disciple. Lord, we thank you and praise you and worship you today. We magnify your great name and thank you and know that you have a word that is timely for us today. We ask these things in your great and wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Art form. Peter starts off the second epistle by saying, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, this is an introduction to most epistles. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Okay, so he opens up the epistle, he gets the introduction out of the way, and then he says this. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there's two things that he's pointing out here. One is we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter would say that is a negative. That is not a net gain. It is a net loss. When you are in a world of corruption... And it is a world that is corrupt through its lust, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, self-interest. That is a corrupt world. Peter said God has called us out of that world. And on the other side of the spectrum, he has given to us an opportunity to step into the divine nature and be a partaker of the divine nature. What is he saying? He's saying it's much better to be in the nature of Jesus than to be in the nature of the world because the nature of the world brings corruption, but the nature of Jesus brings some precious and exceeding promises. Today in the house of God, we are receiving exceeding and precious promises. You say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're talking about. Today we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is a precious and an exceeding promise. Today we have peace that passes all understanding. That is a precious and an exceeding promise. What's the difference? I'm walking in those things today rather than walking in the corruptness that is found in the world through lust and self-interest. I came here today not interested in just myself, but I came here today to be interested in the work and the things of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. And so Peter launches into this and he tells us that we are to be partakers of the divine nature and he's going to give us an opportunity to understand how to do that. How do I do that? How do I become one that partakes in the divine nature? And how do I get out of a world that is corrupt, and it's corrupt in its lust and self-interest? Well, that's what he lays out. That's what he starts. And let me just say by way of introduction, I've already mentioned it while you were standing. Peter has some credentials. He's not coming to us as if somebody that has no gravitas, who has no power or authority or credentials to say what he's going to say. Sometimes people can say stuff. And they may try to say it with authority, but if there's no credibility, it falls flat. And so there have been those in the political realm that have called that gravitas. It means that when you say something, there's a certain connection or a certain authority, a certain credibility that is connected. So if anybody is going to tell us how to get into the divine nature and be a part of the divine nature and to be a partaker of the divine nature, if you're looking for a source of credibility, you're going to find that source of credibility credibility in the Apostle Peter. <clears throat> Peter's role among the disciples, he was a leader and a spokesman for the 12 disciples. <clears throat> he was the mouthpiece. His name occurs first in the listing of the names of the 12 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was also one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So he was also part of the core he was a spokesperson. He was part of the core. When Jesus pulled the core out and he was to talk to them, Peter, James, and John were the three that he would call out. He was sometimes presumptuous. 
when Jesus brought them into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? <clears throat> they had different answers. Some said, well, you're, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And so Peter spoke up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he, he was always speaking before everybody else. And so in this case, he spoke words of truth. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give thee, you Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter makes this amazing proclamation when Jesus is asking the question. And the rest of the disciples do not answer. Peter speaks up and answers. And Jesus responds favorably to him. And he says to him, this is a revelation that has not come from the earth, but it has come from my father. He's revealing to you, Peter, an understanding of what my ministry is supposed to be. And I'm going to give to you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is Peter, the man I'm saying has credibility. But we find in verse number 20 that Jesus charged the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time forward, Jesus began to show unto the disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. In one statement, he makes a great theological statement, and Jesus says, you have received this from my Father, which is from heaven. I'm giving you the keys. And then he starts talking about Calvary and the cross, and Peter starts rebuking Jesus. If you ever want an individual that is rather presumptuous, you're going to find it in the apostle Peter that has the guts to tell God manifested in the flesh, you don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus spun on him quickly and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. That's Peter I'm talking about, the man of credibility. I'm talking about the man. If, if we're going to be partakers of the divine nature and we want somebody with credibility, I said at the beginning, Peter is that individual. And yet in this passage of Scripture, we see a man that is presumptuous, that tries to tell Jesus what he is to do and what he's not to do. He was impetuous. He was always trying to lead first before anyone else. When Jesus passes by, they're in a boat, there's a storm, they're toiling. Jesus passes by them walking on the water. Peter is the one that says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come out. It wasn't the, it wasn't the other disciples. It was this presumptuous 
and at times impetuous Peter that said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come out on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water until he realizes where he is and what he is, and he starts to sink. Jesus pulls him out. It was Peter, presumptuous, impetuous, and very inconsistent. I'm talking to you about someone that has credibility today. Man, this feels so good. You know why he's got credibility? This is getting ahead of myself, but it's too good not to say. He's got credibility because he's not perfect. If somebody's going to tell us how to get into the divine nature, then it's going to be somebody that had a struggle getting there. Somebody that didn't have it all together. Somebody that struggled, and yet at some point, he's writing an epistle, and he's saying, you need to be partakers of the divine nature. Who's going to help me get into that realm and that arena? Somebody that struggled to get there. Peter, he struggled to get there, but he made it. He made it, and he became a credible source of authority on how to get into the, how to get into the divine nature and become a partaker. He was inconsistent. Jesus looked at him one time and said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And Peter, after Jesus telling him, Satan really desires you, and I'm praying for you. I mean, that's amazing that Jesus would actually pray for Simon. And then reveal what he's praying about. And Simon says unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and go to death. I'm ready to do it. And Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before thou thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. He was inconsistent. Jesus said, Satan desires to have you, Peter. But I'm praying for you. He wants to sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you. And when you're converted, strengthen the brother. And Peter says, I'll go to prison and I'll die with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, you'll deny me three times before the son comes. <laughs> he was presumptuous. He was impetuous. He was inconsistent. How did that play out? Peter said, though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. Peter said, though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you? Likewise also said all of the disciples. And yet when he is faced with difficulty, he has a hard time being consistent with what he said. It's Peter. Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's praying, and he's asking all of them to pray with him. And they're having a struggle. They're sleeping while he's praying. Judas appears to betray Jesus Jesus with the soldiers and the chief priests. And some have asked, why is Judas coming into the garden? And why is he kissing Jesus? Well, he's kissing Jesus so that he can reveal to the soldiers who Jesus is. A lot of pictures that you get, you have this Jesus that's like 6'4", blue eyes. And all the other disciples are shorter than he is. Jesus looked like the rest of the disciples. And so the reason Judas needed to come up and kiss Jesus is so that everybody would know who Jesus was. And so when that happens, Peter, who's been sleeping when the Lord's been praying, (laughs) 
Sometimes we're quick to draw the sword before we pray. Sometimes if you pray, you won't need a sword. Hallelujah. Praise God. Peter, Peter's been sleeping with Jesus. If you're praying with Jesus, there's a lot of things you won't have to do. But if you're not praying, there's a lot of things you will do, and it'll be the wrong thing that you're doing because prayer makes things a whole lot better. So Peter, he, he wakes up, and, and all this is going on, and there's this danger, and so he grabs a sword, and he swipes at one of the soldiers and cuts off the servant's ear. His name is Malchus. And Jesus has to cover and has to dig him out of his problem and his situation. He takes the ear and he puts it back on Malchus's head, and he heals Malchus. Peter was inconsistent, very, very inconsistent. He denied the Lord three times. It is this man that speaks to us from the epistle of Peter. There is a very marked change in his life, and it flows from the pages of his actions and his writings. This is the inconsistent, presumptuous, impetuous Peter that is writing in the epistles that is telling us how to be partakers of the divine nature. How you get in there and you become one that can receive exceeding and precious blessings of the Lord. How, how do you get there? This is a source of credibility to tell each and every one of us here today how we get there. Before we get into the rest of what he said today, I want to be an individual that gets into the divine nature and be a partaker of his goodness and his blessing and his greatness. I don't know how you came to the house of God here today. I don't know what pursuit you're on. There's a lot of people pursuing a lot of different things. And man, there's a lot of voices out there trying to distract everybody to go different directions and do different things. I just want to testify from this pulpit in this house and say I'm on a pursuit of being a partaker of the divine nature. God has got some special things for me if I'll put forth some effort. I know I'm not perfect. Perfect, but Peter wasn't perfect, so I know I'm in good company. Amen. And nobody else here in this building is perfect. You've got a lot of situations and circumstances in your life that is impetuous, that is inconsistent, that is presumptuous, and you've brought all of those things to the house of God today. I want you to know God's got something good for you. God's got something great for you. You're on the right path. You're in the right place. You're going the right direction. It is not happenstance that you are here. God has set up a divine appointment for you. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord. I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. Praise God. How do, how do I get there? Well, it's Peter that gives us the art form of how we get there. There's been some major, major changes in his life. Like Peter on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> he curses and denies the Lord three times. He runs, but when Jesus is resurrected out of that grave, and he appears before the disciples, things start clicking into place in Peter's life. <laughs> he made a mess and a failure of some things, but when Jesus came out of the grave, all of a sudden, vision came to Peter, and understanding came to Peter. And the words that Jesus said, I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom, all of a sudden start clicking into his life, and he recognizes, okay, I've... <laughs> I've made some mistakes, I've had ups and downs, and I've had some failures, 
but something is starting to click into place because I recognize everything that Jesus was saying. I didn't understand it before. I didn't understand it at Calvary. But when he came up out of that grave with resurrection power and revealed his authority to each and every one of us, things started clicking into place. Everything that he told me, everything that he taught us, every miracle that transpired and took place started clicking into Peter's life. And so when Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise that you're going to receive from the Father on high. And they went into an upper room and they started praying. And the Holy Ghost fell on each and every one of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Things start clicking into place in Peter's life. And he remembered the words of Jesus. And so when it spilled out into the street and people wondered what in the world is going on. These people are drunk. It was Peter that stepped into his purpose and stepped into his destiny and said these are not drunken as you suppose seeing it is but the third hour of the day but this is that which was prophesied by Joel this is the Holy Ghost you need to repent you need to be baptized in Jesus name and you need to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost it all started clicking it all started clicking I want to tell somebody here today it's starting to click in your life, it's starting to click. Things have been in disarray and out of place and out of order. But something is starting to move and shift and click into place. The things that I couldn't see clearly, it was dim. I didn't have really good vision. I was distracted by a lot of things and my misunderstanding took place. But things are starting to click and now I'm seeing clearly. I'm understanding things from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. I'm realizing that God has a purpose for me and a destiny for me and he's positioned me just for the right time to step into my purpose and destiny listen to me don't get caught up in the past Peter step into your destiny don't get caught up in the failure step into your purpose Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, man. I feel like I feel like preaching at hell for a few moments. You could have looked at Peter and said he was a failure. He made a mistake. Jesus, Jesus spoke words of indifference and rebuked him. You could say all that you want to say about Peter in his failure, but look at him on the day of Pentecost when he steps into his purpose and he steps into his destiny and he preaches this. He preaches the message of salvation. <laughs> Praise God, it's time for you to. Step into your purpose and step into your destiny. I'll never be used to God because of all. I mean, look, look, do you think that you, do you think that you, did Jesus turn and look at you and say, Satan, get thee behind? Huh? You might have been disappointed in some of the things that you've done and some of your actions and some of your failures. But did he ever look at you and say, Satan, get thee behind me? <laughs> he did, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter was a, Peter was a mess. Praise God. And some of you are a mess. I'm just going to say that. And I'm not embarrassed to say it at all. You're a mess. You are an absolute mess. Amen. Somebody said it. Praise God. You're a walking disaster of presumption, inconsistency, impetuousness. That's who you are. You say, well, how can you be so pointed, polemic, 
here today because it's all of us. It's not just you. It's me. P Peter represents each and every one of us. Thank God. You know, that's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible has validity to it because it doesn't sugarcoat something. It doesn't make Peter out to be some angel from heaven that has got all figured out and he's got everything connected. That's not what the Bible does. The Bible lays it out for us to see Peter was an absolute mess, but he, try he was trying. He wanted to do the best, but he didn't have it all together. It wasn't all connected. It was disjointed, but he wanted to do something for God. He just didn't know how to get there. That's like each and every one of us. We don't have it all together, but God's got a purpose for us, and he's spoken a promise over us. He's put a talent and an ability in us. I'm going to stay right here because I believe this is where it's hitting, and things have got to click into place, and sometimes it doesn't click into place, but thank God you've still been coming. I said you've still been coming. Hello, come on, somebody help me preach here today. You've still been coming. You didn't have it all together, but you've still been coming. There's still been a sensitivity in your heart and life when you're struggling with everything else, but you've still been coming. You've still been trying, but now it's clicking into place because God is revealing to you there's a promise. There's an anointing on your life. There's a power on your life. Let it click into place and let God use you in a powerful way. Praise God. Ooh, that felt good to say. Peter gives to us the essential steps of formation. Now, Peter is not the most eloquent. And some people will make comments like that, and and people say, well, how do you know? <laughs> Paul is very eloquent in his speech, and Peter's not so eloquent. Peter's a fisherman. Paul's sat at the feet of Gamaliel, so he's educated. He's very educated. Peter is more of a working class, rugged man. And so how can people make those statements? Well, they're, they're looking at it from the, for the, from the perspective of occupation, maybe. But you can also look at it from the perspective of the actual Greek language. And that's another layer. And when you start looking at Greek language and syntax and how words go together, Paul is very refined and very technical and very precise. Peter, not so much. And yet, there's some brilliance that comes out of what Peter's getting ready to tell us as a source of credibility on how you get into the divine nature and you become spiritually formed. This is what church should be about. I know sometimes we come, we, we got to kind of get out of the modern context of church is just a place where we come and we feel good. This is kind of the modern context of church. It's become more of an entertainment thing, and we feel good, especially in Pentecostal circles. There's more emotion that, that transpires in a worship service, and so people are satisfied with just feeling good and the emotion. But I want to say to you today that based upon the Scripture and based on what Peter is telling us in this passage of Scripture, it's not just about feeling good. It's about becoming a disciple. It's about, it's about becoming like Jesus. And, and that's, that takes some rigor. That takes some effort. That takes some work. <laughs> that's not easy. You, you don't just do that and get a signed certificate that says, you are a disciple. doesn't happen that way. And we're going to graduate you. Now you are a disciple and you are graduated. No, it's a lifelong event that takes place. You're going to be a disciple when you're a child because there's different things that are going to hit you when you're a child playground stuff and people telling you that you're ugly and then that's 
You don't like that. And so that creates problems. Then you go running to mom and dad. And they tell you you're beautiful. God made you the way that you are. Don't let anybody tell you. Don't let a bully on the playground. That There's those things you got to deal with in children's ministry. Then you, then you become a young person. And then there's this weird space where you want to be a child, but you want to be treated like an adult. Oh, Lord, that's like junior high. That is, t- if you've got a junior higher, I'm praying for you. Uh, if you've got children going into junior high, I'm praying for you. I want to be treated like an adult. Yeah, but you're acting like a child. You're caught. And, and then and they get into, into youth, and now they're discovering, they're discovering themselves, trying to discover themselves. Then they just discover there's something called the opposite sex. And, you know, back in the children's day, they had cooties, but now, oh, man, if you've got children getting into this phase, I'm praying for you. Praise God. There's, a, there's, there's this. Stop thinking about this, though. God calls us to be disciples. That's the reason why we have children's ministry. Why do we have children's ministry? To teach our children the, the scripture. Yes and no. The real thing is we're trying to disciple them. We want them to gain knowledge, but we also want them to apply the knowledge in their activity. That's, that's discipleship. We don't want them to act like the world. We want to act, them to act like Jesus. And so we're trying to teach them how to, how to everything they do in their interactions with other people is flavored by the divine nature and being a partaker of that so that they can treat each other accordingly. And then as they get to teenagers, then there's that. And then into adulthood, then there's that. And then you get into another stage of, of what I'm saying is every stage of life, you have to be a disciple. I graduated out of the youth be a disciple anymore. Now I'm getting married. Oh boy, you be, did you know the best way to be a disciple is to get married? Some of you didn't want to hear that, but if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, get married and live with somebody. 24/7. And then there's family and then there's children that come along and then the children and then and then that has a that has an effect on the marriage because now we're trying to bring kids into it. But trying to still keep that fire alive. Yeah, uh-oh, is right. That's typically where it runs off the rails. Right? Then we have then we then then we do all this work. We're working, working, working for these kids. Thank God for uh, some some people that had a vision for kids and last night they had a ball that was amazing. It's a lot of work, but everything that you do has value for children and for young people. And but here's what I'm saying. It's Here's what I'm saying. We want them to have fun. We want to have fellowship. But we got to connect them into we're a disciple. What are we doing? We're trying to be a disciple of Jesus. We want to be partakers of the divine nature. And then you have families. And then, 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 then you get into elderly ages. And now you've you got a whole other set of... Well, you never stop trying to be a disciple. It's not like you ever arrive. You will never arrive. Until Jesus Christ comes back for you and your mortal body puts on immortality. You're always going to be striving and you're always going to be working at becoming, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's going to be moments where you're going to say, well, I didn't handle that very well. That wasn't like a true disciple. But God put something in me to strive and be better and do better because I'm on a pursuit of something that is not a world of corruption. But I'm on a pursuit of being a partaker of the divine nature. Amen. So how are we going to find somebody that's going to help us? Peter helps us. And he brings to us brilliance out of just a few verses where he's, he lays it out and tells us this should be our approach and this should be what we're desiring. And so then he gives to us the essential steps 
of formation, spiritual formation. That is discipleship. How do I get there? How do I break into the divine nature? Peter is obviously, now this is another thing that's amazing. I don't want to get too off track here, but I think I need to say this. Peter is saying the end goal is not a new birth experience. Now that's fascinating. Peter is speaking here as one who has already repented of his sins. Right? We believe that you must repent of your sins. That means I'm going a different direction. This is what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys, Peter. And so on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the message that I'm giving you and the keys I'm giving to you are powerful. Hey, Peter, you left the door wide open. And we found your keys. Peter's the one that spoke on the day of Pentecost with the keys to the kingdom. And he said, repent. Turn. Go a different direction. Don't follow the world of corruption, but follow the divine nature of Jesus. Repent. And then he said, because repentance is identifying with Jesus' death. And then he said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Because baptism is an identification with his burial. Peter's saying this on the day of Pentecost, the person of credibility. And then he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you're going to speak with other tongues, and this is a promise to you and your children and to those who are far off. There's a whole world out there. This is Peter. Peter is saying, repent, identify with Jesus' death, be baptized, identify with his burial, be filled with the Holy Ghost, identify with his resurrection. You've got to repent of old stuff that's, that's based on a world of corruption. You've got to bury it, and then you're filled with the Holy Ghost that gives you the power over all of that stuff. It's Jesus living on the inside of you. It is his spirit walking in you. Hallelujah. Now, but, but now he's saying to get into the divine nature, there's some things you've got to do. So, so just because a new birth experience is so very, very important, you don't stop with it. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Peter, give us an art form. Well, I repented. I was baptized in Jesus' name. I was filled in the Holy Ghost. I'm done. No, you're just starting. You're just starting. You're just starting. Why? Because your nature is not a divine nature. <laughs> your nature is a human nature. And as I said before, your human nature is a mess. Don't ever say, well, I've got this and that to do. Or if I left church, I wouldn't do what they did. And you don't know what you would do because you've got a human nature. Well, if I left church, you know, I'd get involved in stuff. I wouldn't hang around with backsliders. I'd fi find my own group and be my own person. When you walk away from a divine nature, your human nature takes over. And your human nature will drive you all over the place. And you won't have control of it. This is why you need the Holy Ghost in your life so that you can say to your human nature, No, I'm not going that direction. That's corrupt. I'm not going that direction. That's worldly. I'm not going. That's in the flesh. I'm not going. I'm walking in the spirit. I need the Holy Ghost in my life to help me do that. Praise God. So. <laughs> I know we talk a lot about new birth experience, new birth experience, repent, be baptized, in filling of the Holy Ghost. We do it a lot. I preach about it Tuesday night, but that's not the end goal. That's the beginning. That is the beginning. Hebrews said leaving baptisms and going on. So that's the beginning of a life of working on discipleship. Working on discipleship. Why do you people go to church so much? I'm working on discipleship. That's why. And if I don't go to church enough, then the world starts, man, starts eroding and dictating things to me. And all of a sudden, I've got all this stuff in my head. So I'm coming to the house of God to clear all that out so that I can be a better person and deal with situations and problems more effectively rather than these coping mechanisms that the world has, which is uh, drugs, alcohol, immorality, 
There's all kind of checkout mechanisms. So I come to the house of God so that I can fill that emptiness and that void with the power and the anointing of God that helps me be a disciple. And I'm working on discipleship. What are you doing in the house of God today? Working on discipleship. I like that. That's good. You know what that says? That encompasses just about everything. What did you come today for? I came to worship. Well, worship is a very small part of discipleship. Discipleship's going to go with you out of here. Worship may stay right here. Discipleship's going to go with you when you go home and on the job and other, the other situations that you face in life. Discipleship is following you 365 days of the year because discipleship is you. You can't separate yourself from discipleship. So what am I doing in the house of God today? Discipleship. I'm working on some things. I said I'm working on some things. I'm not working on my divine nature. I mean, my human nature. And I'm not divine either. I'm... My wife thinks I am. Sometimes. I'm working on being a partaker of his divine nature. And so that means sometimes I got to get out of my human nature and I got to get into his divine nature. And so Peter lays out some things here. What time is it? That's, that's either, either my eyesight is going bad or that's not very bright. It's not very bright? Oh, thank God. I thought I was going blind. <laughs> Peter gives us some art form. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. I want you to read this with me. It's a few verses right here. It's not much. It all has to do with being partakers of the divine nature. First, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. Giving all diligence. Add to your... I want you to read this with me, okay? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence right here. I want you to read together with me. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Peter's saying make every effort to add to your faith goodness, virtue, and to goodness, knowledge. Because faith, goodness, and knowledge, those are foundational things. If you're ever going to get into the divine nature and be a partaker of it, you've got to have faith, goodness, and knowledge. This means I am not, now Peter made, he made the distinction between a world that is corrupt and a divine nature. If you're going to get into the divine nature, you're going to have to walk away from a world of corruption that is based and steeped in self-control and self-interest. And it's a world that thinks I can do it myself. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I have my own ability. I can do it all myself. I'm here to tell you that Peter is saying, if you're ever going to get into the divine nature and be a partaker of that, you got to leave your self-interest and your own self, and you got to get into the understanding that I can't depend on myself. It is not self-dependence, but it is a God-dependence. That's what faith is virtue and knowledge means I can't walk according to my own way God I got to put my faith in you no matter what it looks like I know that I can't measure up so I'm putting my confidence and my faith in you I'm going to trust you Abraham walked out of what was comfortable and known to him and he walked out based on his faith before God sometimes you're going to walk in situations that you don't know where to turn or what to do you're going to have to hang on to faith and say God I'm going to trust in you in the middle of this I don't see any way 
out of this, but I'm trusting in you. Hallelujah. My confidence is in you. Three Hebrew children going to go into a fiery furnace. They had faith and confidence that God was going to pull them out. And if he didn't pull them out, it was okay because they would rather trust in God than trust in an image that Nebuchadnezzar had put up in the plain of Shinar. They were making a declaration. I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to put some goodness with it. And it's going to bring knowledge to me that I can't do it on my own. But I can do it if God is walking with me. If God is walking with me, I can make it through any hell, fire, any desert. I'll make it through because my faith and confidence is in a God that is able to do above and beyond what I can even think or ask. Hallelujah. We are the people of faith. We don't operate on doubt and fear and unbelief. We operate on faith, goodness, and knowledge. My faith is in God. It's a good thing. The knowledge is God's going to walk with me. Praise God. Musicians might want to start doing that. The credible source is Peter, and with all of his falling down, he learned to have faith in God. He remembered things like Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Peter, at some point in his life, he didn't even hear that. <laughs> Prior to Calvary, he didn't, even hear, he didn't even hear that. Where are we going now? I went right in one ear and out the other. Oh, but when things started clicking and he stepped into his purpose and his destiny, hmm, you can do nothing without Jesus. And so the credible source of spiritual formation said it all starts. Peter, how did you, let's interview Peter. Peter, how did you get where you are? I mean, that's pretty cool. You started preaching on the day of Pentecost and then things started clicking into place and there were other things in his life being a disciple because he was still a racist. He had a new birth experience and he was still a racist. <laughs> Discipleship, just, it doesn't stop with you being born again. It's, it's a, you work on some things. And so he was a racist because he was hanging out with the Gentiles until Paul shows up and then he separates himself and hangs out with the Jews and Paul called him one day. Guy with the keys to the key. This is why he's so credible. If you're going to find somebody going to help you with spiritual formation, find somebody that doesn't have it together. He's, he's got all these problems, and yet he's writing these things to us because his life has become a credible source of spiritual formation because he's lived it and he's conquered some things. He gives to us an example of what we can all be. Nothing is sugar coated. And so he says, you got to start with faith, goodness, and knowledge. By faith, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, the prophets, and many, many others, they accomplished great things because they had faith, goodness, and knowledge. That is, you're not going to get into the divine nature and be a partaker if you don't have faith in God and you don't put goodness and knowledge in that's where you start it's not it's not i'm not relying on me but i'm relying on the lord amen we'll follow after him. that is absolutely the foundation and then verse number six and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and the perseverance godliness peter is saying once you get the foundation and you're relying on god and not yourself then you got to have some self-control you got to persevere through some difficulties and godliness, because this is where character is built. 
self-control, perseverance, godliness, this is where character is born. See, when you got the Holy Ghost, you were just at the beginning of a long road of discipleship. I'm going to set the foundation. I'm going to get the right things in order here. I'm going to put my faith, virtue, and knowledge. I'm going to establish that. And then Peter said, mm, then you're going to have to step in self-control. Praise God. Anybody fully conquered self-control? Raise your hand. I, I want to see because I, I want to talk to you after church, find out exactly what you're doing. <laughs> huh? We all struggle. Peter's giving to us the art form of spiritual formation. Who better to tell us than Peter about self-control, right? A guy that didn't have self-control. But here he is here saying, got to have faith in God, virtue and knowledge, but then you got to work on self-control and you got to work on perseverance because it's going to take perseverance to plow through some stuff. And then you, and then godliness. And this is where character is built. This is about being. This is about who you are. It's not necessarily doing. One can can do and not be, but it's much harder to be and not do. So Peter's saying, this is, this is where you, this is where you just be. Amen. There's a, there's all this, and I don't even have time for all this. We're running out of time. This is so good. Being is the stuff that you keep putting in. And it has latent potential. It starts filling up. And then all of a sudden, it starts flowing out. It starts spilling out. It's the being part. How They are so amazing. They do stuff for people. How does that happen? Because they've worked on being. It's flowing out of them. It just That's not natural. It, just, it doesn't come natural. It's something that you work at. Because what's natural is selfishness. But when you have faith in God and confidence in God and it brings knowledge and then you start working on self-control, perseverance, and Godliness, stuff starts flowing out of you. You want to know one of the reasons why you're always griping and complaining and you're looking at every little nitpicky thing? It's because you're empty. You're empty and you haven't filled the latent potential that is there. It's, it's hard to be real negative when you're full and overflowing. It's real easy to be negative when there's nothing there. I know you don't like that. You're going to get upset with me and that hurts, but it's the truth. I'm not talking to you from my own personal interest. I'm talking to myself, but I'm giving to you a credible source, and it's Peter, because Peter knows what spiritual formation is about. When you start pouring a lot of stuff in, self-control, perseverance, and godliness, character starts taking place, and there is self-control and all this stuff that starts coming, that is being. And out of being is going to flow ministry. You will never get the ministry if you never get to the being part. Well, you can, but you'll be a fake, a flake, and a, and a facade. You may have charisma and you may be an entertainer, but somebody at some point in time is going to see through that or you're going to have a problem and a failure on your own because you won't last very long unless you've got some being and you got some character. Man, this stuff is absolutely amazing coming from a credible source here today. If you got a faith in God and confidence in God, then you've got to start working on your character, which is self-control, perseverance, and godliness. You've got to pour stuff in, pour stuff in, pour stuff in, so it starts flowing out. What's going to start flowing out? Ministry. What's a true disciple? True disciple is not one that doesn't do ministry. A true disciple is not one that doesn't do ministry. Because according to this credible source that we're talking about today, spiritual formation is establishing a faith and confidence in God, a God reliance, and then 
working on myself. And when I work at the being part of myself and it produces character and I'm a partaker of the divine nature, the divine nature is ministry. And so out of that comes a flow of ministry to other people. And that's what he ends with, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. God. What is the disciple? A disciple is, is a lot of hard work and effort. But the payoff is you get connected to the divine nature. You're a partaker of it. And now you become someone that ministers to other people. I want us to stand to our feet here today. I feel heaviness in this place. God, I repent. What are you repenting of, Pastor? I repent of just coming to church and being blessed and enjoying service and everything that goes with it and all the events and all the ministries that take place. And sometimes I fail to remember I'm supposed to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm supposed to be working on some things, being, 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 being. I'm supposed to be putting some things in. I wonder if we could lift our hands today. Praise God. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, I wonder if we could just walk to the front today and say, Lord, help me to be everything that I need to be. Praise God. I'm coming to you today. I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here today. Maybe you've been in a world of corruption and all it has brought is scars and pain and anguish and dysfunction. I hope I'm raising a specter to you today from a very unlikely source of man that was full of mistakes and issues. And somehow, somehow he got it all together and he gave us the art form of spiritual formation. How to get this thing right so that I can be everything God has called me to be. Hallelujah. Come on, could you lift up your hands and your voice as they begin to sing? Pray that prayer today. Lord, help me. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Lord. I love you. You did not create me to obey. You did not create me to fear. You created. You created me to worship daily. So I'm Help me. 